Welcome to the Inspired Women Podcast. I'm your host, Megan Hall, psychology student, wife, and mama four. On this podcast, I share helpful life tips and stories from inspirational women. Warning, sometimes we chat about taboo topics and drop some F-bombs. Thank you for tuning in with me today. Enjoy the episode. Hey guys, today I'm here with Katie. Katie is a trained epidemiologist with a background in infectious diseases, which is why she's on the podcast right now, (laughs) especially HIV, sexually transmitted infections, and hepatitis C. She also um, focuses on biostatistics and research methodology. Katie has experience working both domestically in the United States as well as internationally. She is a trained academic with MPH and all but dissertation on a PhD. Someday I want to earn my PhD. I actually want to be a psychology professor. So, oh, nice. Yeah. I came I, from the world of psychology. Yeah, really? <laughs> yeah, I did. My undergraduate I, degree is in psychology. <laughs> my goal was to be a therapist, but I have so many like mental struggles myself. I'm not sure where I'll be at that point in time when I get done. So I'm like, I'm just going to aim to be a professor because I don't have to be completely with it. To do that. Yeah. <laughs> so Katie, um, you're on the podcast today because I made a post asking if anybody could come on to talk about COVID-19. A lot of people who have been listening to the podcast heard my announcement that we're just going to do episodes every other week. And they're like, where does this episode come from? It's a bonus episode because we are all being affected right now, no matter where you are in the world, um, by this virus. And right now, I mean, the United States is apparently winning, not that we want to win um, with this virus, but we're in the lead for the cases and all of the things. Um, so we're, we're getting particularly hard hit, especially in New York. I live in Connecticut, and uh, a lot of our cases are in the county that borders the city. Um, so I think that's where our cases originally came from. Uh, but now it's obviously spreading because that's how this works. Uh, But Katie, thank you so much for agreeing to come on the podcast and chat with me today. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Okay, so we're going to start. I have a list of questions for people who uh, listen to the podcast normally. I normally do not create questions, but I feel like this is the kind of topic that we need to have some questions. But like I told Katie, it's conversational. We could could chat about what's going on. Uh, Katie, you live in Colorado. So your state was um, one of the the leaders in like, oh, let's take precautions. <laughs> <laughs> Where some other states are like, no, still we're just allowing things to go as they are. So it's it's kind of crazy how state by state things are so different. And it's really not about how many cases they have. It's about um, the governors and the uh, legislators in that state taking action versus other states, which are like, I don't give a crap. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. um, One of the things that I've been very focused on is how piecemeal the response has been in the United States. Um, We haven't presented a united front um, in general uh, because we've sort of been left to piecemeal this response together. You're going to see then a lot of different um, results coming out and it's going to vary by state. It could even vary down even at the county level because, for example, there were counties in Colorado that were the first to shelter in place um, and then, you know, others followed suit. But you have um, certain places 
<clears throat> excuse me, um, you have certain places that are taking action faster. Um, and the ones that are taking action faster are the ones that in theory will also have better results um, on the back end of this. Um, but it's also interesting too, because the way that at the federal level, um, we always think of this, the states kind of reporting up to the federal level, mm -hmm. um, but you're seeing that in a much smaller scale, even at the states. So even if you think of your own individual state as kind of its own little nation state, like the state of Connecticut, where you are, um, you know, county by county, the, the precautions probably looked different until yeah. finally the president of the state, the governor, decided, okay, executive order, shelter in place for the entire state. Um, and even cities, like down even to that granularity of cities, were even doing things a little bit different mm -hmm. than some of the counties were. Um, and so just in general, like the response has been so piecemeal that um, I think that that will be reflected in some of the statistics on the back end of this. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Uh, one example I think of is Florida, uh, where mm -hmm. some cities were closing down their beaches or some counties were closing down their beaches and they were yeah. issuing these orders. And then there's others where they have all these spring breakers just partying on the beach. And you're just like, what? Like, why is this not the whole state? I guess now the whole state has a stay at home order finally. Yes, yes as of yesterday. <laughs> My friend who lives in the Florida Keys, he kept posting about how they had more and more tourists coming through and coming through. And he was so worried because they didn't know what they're bringing with them. You know, this is his home. And finally, mm -hmm. I guess the Keys decided to shut down. They weren't letting anybody um, in that did not live there and could not prove that they lived there or that they had to work there. But that was just the Keys. It wasn't like all of Florida at that point in time. So they were very piecemeal in what they were doing. Yep. Um, unfortunately, you're seeing that in a lot of places, basically everywhere. Um, Florida, as of yesterday, their, you know, their executive order for the state came down um, yesterday afternoon. Um, so like now the entire state is underneath shelter in place. However, you know, there were certain counties that were taking it more seriously than others. Um, I've been watching Florida very closely because just with the demographics of the state um, and the the fact that they didn't even really try to get out in front of it and with how bad testing has been across the country um i i have a lot of concerns about what that's going to end up looking like for them um, as we start to come out of this initial wave especially with uh states not shutting down their borders so people can easily yes. come from other states not that i'm picking on new york i'm from new york okay i'm from northern <laughs> new york no not not the city but like new york should have been one of the first states to be like no y'all are not going anywhere because i mean they just kept going down to their vacation homes in florida or connecticut or you know wherever rhode island i mean rhode island recently decided if you have out-of-state plates we're stopping you and pulling you over um, and if you're from the city or New Jersey, uh, you're going to have to be quarantined for at least 14 days if you enter the state of Rhode Island. Uh, be we, needed to, we need to do that kind of stuff. And I, I feel like this should have been like a federal government thing where they were just like, listen, this is the minimum you guys have to do because this, like you said, piecemeal, is, it's just not working. Yeah, um, there have been... There, in the public health professionals community, there's been a lot of talk about, you know, travel bans and domestic travel bans. Um, several weeks ago, on my personal Facebook account, I came out as just everybody stay where you are, do not travel. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, even and, and I think there's a lot of 
wiggle room in that because people don't think about traveling as staying in your home state or, yeah. you know, if you live in the tri-state area, even moving across state lines, people don't even really think of that as travel. Um, but what, you know, the, the idea of stay in place means like stay very, very, very local, stay in your neighborhood. Um, in Colorado, we've, we've had to start um, issuing guidance around, you have to stay in your county because one of the things that, you know, Coloradans love to do is escape to the mountains, but unfortunately small, small towns, rural areas, and you're seeing this across the nation play out, but you know, small towns and rural areas are going to be more easily overwhelmed by this than the larger urban centers. So people going from Denver up to the mountains could potentially bring the virus with them and help to overwhelm a healthcare system in a smaller place that is already severely understaffed and uh, it lacks you know, the plethora of resources that places uh, in urban centers have you know, more access to. Mm -hmm. um, but I think in general, it's something that people just don't really think about, um, you know, because we like to get out into the wild. We like to go out and especially in places like Colorado, um, you know, New Yorkers coming to Connecticut to experience like the nature and getting out of the city and getting out of those densely populated areas. Um, unfortunately, though, right now, you have to stay where you are um, because otherwise you will overrun um, and perpetuate a problem that everywhere is going to have. but in order for any place to have a fighting chance, everybody needs to stay put and stay still. Um, my, you know, I, one of the things that I love to do is I love to travel. I used to work internationally. Um, I, I try to use my passport as often as possible and I'm lucky enough to get to do that. <laughs> um, but, you know, right now my, my, area of containment is very much like my neighborhood. If I cannot walk there, I am not going. Yeah. Um, I haven't driven my car in weeks. I've been based from home for weeks now. And, you know, I am one of those people that enjoys the mountains. I am a rock climber. I'm a backcountry skier. I like to be in the mountains in general, but trying to be very conscious of my actions and how those actions play out on the people around me and the communities around me. Um, and so these acts of social solidarity are really kind of a mental shift for a lot of people because culturally speaking in the United States, it's very, we've got the freedom to do whatever we want. We can travel wherever we want within the United States freely, no questions asked and borders are porous is being kind about it. You know, borders yeah. are not, they're almost meaningless. You know, you, you drive over one strip of land and it's not like there's a checkpoint for us. Like mm -hmm you could go from Connecticut to New York and you wouldn't even know except that there's like a sign that says, welcome to New York. Right. <laughs> um, but there's nobody checking. Um, and so it's, it's one of those things of like, we have to make a mental shift as a society now to really focus on the larger picture and everyone else and sort of allow our individual selves to kind of become absorbed by that. Um, yeah. And these radical acts of social solidarity, as I'm calling them, are really acts of responsibility and they're acts of kindness towards everybody else right now um, because everybody is feeling the pinch. Everybody hates this. It's not fun. Uh, nobody's enjoying it. But also like this is more, more now than I think ever in my lifetime, ever in anybody else's lifetime with the exception of people that, you know, are still alive after World War II. Um, more now than ever, we really need to come together um, in order to 
try to get through this. Um, and the way that that looks is by staying where we are and staying physically away from each other. Um, which sounds funny because literally, you know, we can't come together, but like solidarity, let's all, <laughs> we're all in this together. So like, let's right. stay away from each other for the benefit of everybody. <laughs> right. So that talks about one of my questions where we're, I was talking about the importance of, you know, staying at home, practice so social distancing. And I think a lot of people misunderstand this. We don't mean that you have to stay inside your house and you can't like go out in your yard or you can't go for a walk, you know, or my, um, brother is a runner. Um, I say that because how I got introduced to Katie was my brother's girlfriend. Um, and my brother's a runner. So like he goes for runs, but when he goes for runs, he's not running with a group of people. He's not, you know, going near other people. We can still go outside in by ourselves, like with our kids or whatever, and practice that social distancing as long as we're not going to those places that are heavily populated. Um, and I think that's something people misunderstand. They're like, oh, I got to stay locked in my house. I can't even go out and have fresh air. You have a porch. You probably have a yard. You know, um, most people do. And we can go out and, and enjoy those things. I'm fortunate to live on seven acres of land, so I could just let my kids roam free and not have to be like, don't go near people. Um, but when we're out in public, because we're going to have to, we're going to have to go for groceries or, you know, medication if we have medication or maybe even, you know, medical. Like if you have something that has to be treated because you can't avoid it, you're going to have to go out in public. Um, but when we're out in public, you know, practicing social distancing. And I think a lot of people don't realize that doesn't mean you get to go hang out at your friend's house and stay six feet from them on the couch. Like this means stay in your house and only associate with the people who are in your house, you know, in that, in that way. Um, we can do Skype. We can do Zoom. We, we're doing this over Zoom. You, you can phone call. You can text. You can leave voice messages. My friend and I, Voxer, um, We've been doing that because she lives in Virginia and I live in Connecticut, but we can do all these things. It's important that we don't come in contact with other people. So what happens when people don't follow the stay at home orders and the social distancing? Yeah. So, um, social distancing is not fun for anyone, as we mentioned earlier. <laughs> um, you know, we're all very social creatures and, um, I think, evolutionarily speaking, like we've, you know, we've evolved to be such. Um, and so the social distancing orders right now don't mean that you can't have a phone call with a friend. They don't mean that you have to be socially isolated. They just mean that you physically have to stay away from people. Um, and unfortunately that does mean like, no, you shouldn't be throwing a barbecue or you shouldn't be having friends over or you shouldn't be getting together for birthday parties, you know, it does mean that, but it doesn't mean social isolation to your point. So we've got all of these great tools, mostly because of the internet. Um, that means that like, we can still stay in touch with each other, just not physically in touch with each other. <laughs> um, and the reason that social distancing is so important is because this virus is brand spanking new to humanity. Uh, we have never before encountered it. And what that means is nobody has immunity to this virus. And so if we allow it to run unchecked in our populace, that means that all of those doomsday scenarios that you've been hearing docs and public health professionals talking about uh, happen. And so that looks like an overrun healthcare system. That looks like 
a lot of people dying that don't need to die. <laughs> that looks like economies collapsing. That looks like, you know, basically that could look, that could look like a Mad Max kind of scenario. Um, and not to be a doomsdayer, but you know, that's the kind, those are the kinds of consequences that we are talking about. Um, and so I think in general, if you think of the virus as being the gas pedal and social distancing as being the brake, the virus wants to go, go, go and um, put the pedal to the metal and just go as fast as it can. Social distancing is the tool that we have right now to kind of slow it down and to really break its intentions of just spreading like wildfire throughout our populace. Um, and that's the only tool that we have right now until we've got an effective and um, readily available treatment and or vaccine. And unfortunately, you know, that's going to take a while, um, especially if we are talking about waiting on a vaccine. That's going to take at least 18 months. Um, but social distancing is a very effective tool. And while we don't like it, I don't like it. I don't even like telling people to do it, but like it is our tool and it is our only break right now on that gas pedal that's just floored. Yeah, that makes total sense. And if anybody hears noises in the background, that's my children. Um, because we all know if we, if that kids are not in school right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we talk, how is this virus transmitted? Because there's a lot of information, like do I have to worry about my packages and my mail? Uh, do I have to worry about when I go, go to the grocery store? Now there's information out, like maybe you should wear a mask. Like I, there's so much information out there, especially on social media, where I think people just make shit up and post it, <laughs> um, that I would love for you to share with us, how is this transmitted? You know, um, what should we be cautious of? Where can we catch this virus? Sure. So um, <clears throat> what I'm going to preface this with is, because this virus is so new, uh, we like to compare it to things that we do know, right? Um, because we don't know any, we don't know very much about it, and so I'm going to make some comparisons to other things that we are much more familiar with. Uh, don't come at me in my DMs because I know that you know this virus is very different than these other viruses. But just for um, communication's sake and trying to get people to understand, um, I will liken it to certain things. But again, I understand that it is not these other things. So. Um, First off, person to person. Um, so if you are in very close contact with somebody, say within six feet, where you can touch each other, where, you've, um, where you're potentially sharing germs because you've, you're sharing a water bottle, you're kissing each other, you're hugging each other, you're high-fiving all the time, that kind of stuff. Um, and then respiratory droplets is the big one. Um, so basically, it's transmitted an awful lot like influenza. Um, those respiratory droplets are from coughing and sneezing, um, spitting too. <laughs> um, <laughs> so if you're coughing, you need to cover your cough, cough into your elbow. If you sneeze, same thing. Um, and then the third one is what in the public health world and epidemiology we call fomites. Fomites are these things that are basically commonly contacted areas um, that for this purpose are high, ha are high hand traffic. Um, and so they could be things like elevator buttons, door, door handles, and they're touched frequently by people who have dirty hands. So who have virus on their hands because they sneeze, they cough, they, you know, they do whatever it is. They touch the face all the time. <laughs> um, and then they touch these other things. So it's just high hand traffic 
um, objects that then are potentially a source of infection for you. Because then if you, if you go and you touch an elevator button that a bunch of other people have been touching, and then you touch your face, then that's, you, are, you are at risk then for potentially contracting it if the virus had been there. Yeah, that, um, that, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah, so um, I think in general, the thing that people need to understand is that the virus does enter um, very much like the flu. It enters through a mucous membrane. So if you have um, virus, virus on your hands and you touch your nose, you touch your mouth, you touch your eyes, that is how the virus gets into your body. So if you've been seeing a lot of stuff about don't touch your face, don't touch your face, don't touch, don't touch your face, that's why. Um, and uh, the whole hand washing craze that's sweeping the nation, you know, it's because like, it's really, really hard to not touch your face. Yes. Um, yeah, if you've ever done that experiment of just go 15 minutes without touching your face, it's really, really hard. Uh, I do it all the time, and my profession is to think about infectious diseases all the time. So I like <laughs> it's just hardwired into us. Like we're constantly fussing with our face. Um, so I think those are the main things that people need to keep in mind. Um, and even if people don't seem sick, they could still be transmitting the virus. So one of the things that we've been seeing is pre-symptomatic and asymptomatic transmission. So pre-symptomatic meaning somebody is about to get sick, but they aren't displaying symptoms yet. Um, so maybe two days, one day before they actually come down with a fever or a dry cough, they're shedding virus and they are contagious. And so people that look healthy and seem healthy could absolutely be transmitting the virus around. And that's actually what we're seeing. Um, you know, this, this virus has been running wild like wildfire through um, cities and states and basically the world because it was able to go undetected for a pretty long time, which means it was just spreading without anybody really knowing it. And, and what we're seeing in the, in the United States now in places like New York um, is, you know, we have so many cases because it was silently spreading. Um, because of those people who were pre-symptomatic but were were contagious, and then people who had the virus but never really got sick, um, and they but they were able to spread it around. So we're seeing a lot of that, and I mean that's not to downplay those who were sick and were also spreading virus around. Obviously, people who are symptomatic right. are going to be spreading virus around. <laughs> Um, but I think the, the biggest take home message now is, you know, most people have an aversion to being around somebody who is sick, but most people don't have an aversion to being around people that seem healthy and aren't coughing, aren't sneezing, aren't, you know, feverish. They don't look sick. So why can't I be around them? And that's, that's one of the biggest take home messages here is just, you can absolutely be shedding virus and not know it because you feel fine. Right. It's like these people I see on Facebook. Well, you know, I let my, um, my kids play with these kids next door because I know their, their family's practicing social distancing, but in my head, like you don't know what that person touched or who they came in contact with. And you may want to believe that they did all the things they should, but you don't know. I mean, what if somebody coughed near them and they didn't even touch their face, but like they inhaled that and now they have it. Like, cause it can do that, right? If somebody coughs near you, you can inhale those droplets. Am I correct in that? Yes. So okay. it, yes, depending upon how close in, in close contact you are, but if somebody were to cough very near you, yes, you could absolutely inhale their droplets. 
Um, again, depends on how close you were. <laughs> right. And so you, we can't guarantee that these people around us are doing everything they shouldn't. Even if they are, you don't know who they've come in contact with or what they've come in contact with. We don't know. And, and it's important for us to just focus on protecting ourselves. And in my case, protecting my children, um, really drilling it into my teenage daughter's head because she's still, her work is still open that you need to practice these things. Luckily at her work, they're wearing gloves and they're doing all these things. Mm -hmm. I said, are you taking off those gloves before you touch your cell phone? And she's like, yes, mom, we have to take off our gloves before we touch anything else besides what we're working with. I'm like, okay, good, good, good. <laughs> um, but you don't know. And so I think that's important for us to remember is you may want to believe that your friends and family and your neighbors are doing the things they should so you can hang out with them, but you just don't know who they've come in contact with. Um, and you mentioned um, influenza. And one of my questions is, how is this different? Because a lot of people are comparing it. And I'm like, it's not the same thing. <laughs> right. Um, so one, so, okay. It is different from the flu in a few really important ways. Number one, it's totally new to human beings. Um, certain strains of the flu have been circulating for a very long time. You know, the flu, everybody's been exposed to it at this point. And I mean, there are a lot of different viruses that make up um, what we call influenza. There are different types. Um, but this one, you know, there are different kinds of coronaviruses, but this is a completely new one to humans. So again, we just don't have any immunity to it because we've never been exposed to it before. So every single person is very much at risk and is vulnerable to this virus. Um, the second thing, the fatality rate. We can't actually calculate a case fatality rate for this until we are through this initial wave. Um, but what we do know about it is that the fatality rate is higher than the flu. Um, it's much higher than the flu. Um, what we are also seeing is that it is also more contagious than the flu. So one of the things that we talk about in epidemiology is the R naught of an infectious disease. And um, that's just a fancy way of basically saying, on average, for every one sick person, how many people does that person infect? Um, and so you might have seen some fancy infographics of um, people, you know, like start with one person and then it goes out to three and then it goes out to, you know, three times three and how it explodes very quickly. Um, so this R naught is higher than the flu. So we don't know the final R naught numbers yet. We've got estimates and I've even seen estimates for different R naughts um, state by state because again, going back to that piecemeal response, <laughs> um, but we've got estimates and the, all of the estimates are higher than the flu. So just on average, if you, if you are sick with COVID-19, you are infecting more people than if you had been sick with the flu. Um, then the last thing that's really important is the severity of the disease. So the CDC estimates that approximately 1% to 2% of influenza cases are hospitalized per year. Um, right now, we've, we've got ballpark estimates, and it's about 20% of cases uh, with COVID-19 end up going to the hospital. Uh, that's a lot more serious than the flu. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's a lot more serious than the flu. And I mean, you know, that does mean that about 80% of the cases, you know, are mild to moderate. And so it's like, you stay home, you feel miserable, but like, you're not going to the hospital. That's good. But, um, 
you know, that 20% is a big deal, especially when you're talking about a new virus that nobody has any immunity to that's just sweeping across the world. So on a sheer numbers scale, you know, 20% might not sound like a lot. It's a lot. It's a really big deal. It's why you're seeing healthcare systems in places like Italy be overrun. It's why you're seeing what's happening in New York happen. Um, and so like, it is a much bigger deal than just the flu. Um, and, you know, we can, like I said earlier, you know, we can liken it to the flu because it's something that we know. But when we do that, we need to keep these differences in mind um, because it is a lot more dangerous than the flu. Yeah, they are saying um, that you are at a higher risk if you're in a certain demographic, like older, like 60 plus. Um, mm -hmm. But also if you have uh, another pre-condition, um, pre-existing condition. Uh, but can people who are relatively young and healthy die? Yes. Full like, stop. Like it's, it's, it, that's a yes or no question. And the answer right. is yes. Because <laughs> I see all the people posting on Facebook, oh, I'm young and healthy. I'll be fine. I might get a little sick, but I'll be okay. And I'm thinking I've, I've seen like news articles and um, people posting about people they know who have died. Um, and they're not people with pre-existing health conditions or with respiratory problems or that are older. I mean, these are people who are like my age, which scares the crap out of me because I am a mom with a four kids. Like I don't want to get sick and something happened to me or me end up in the hospital because even people who are relatively young and healthy are getting such a severe case. They're ending up in the hospital and having to be intubated. Like that's scary. Yeah. So one of the one of the little factoids that's been kind of floating around is that um, sheer numbers wise, your most of the hospitalizations due to COVID nineteen are actually people under fifty. You know, in that twenty to fifty range, um, and that's a lot of the people that think that they're fine because they aren't at that higher risk for death, uh, that higher risk for you know for death because of uh, their age and pre-existing comorbidities, you know, those kinds of things. Um, but sheer numbers wise, you know, most of the people that are being hospitalized are in that 20 to 50 range. Um, it's very easy to think that just because you don't have diabetes, like you're fine, but that's not the case. Um, people can die even if you're not in those higher risk categories. So those risks, you know, you're hearing a lot of like high risk, higher risk. I like to use the word higher risk because um, it, it implies that risk is still there for everybody else. Mm -hmm. You're just at a higher risk than everybody else for, you know, for developing a more severe case of this and death. Um, but I mean, unfortunately, this, because nobody has any immunity to it, you know, everybody, everybody has a risk. Um, and regardless of how old you are, the risk is real. Um, one of the things that I've been noticing, you know, I live in Colorado um, and we are pretty extreme athletes out here. Um, I myself, I'm a runner, I'm a backcountry skier, I'm a rock climber. Um, I just do stuff in the mountains all the time. And I've seen case reports of marathon runners go down with pretty severe cases of pneumonia and 
needing to be in the hospital and being intubated. Nobody is immune to this. Um, and that's the biggest takeaway that I think a lot of people really need to start feeling. Um, again, not to be a doomsdayer, but yeah, there, there seem to be a lot of kind of lackadaisical attitudes about it, mm-hmm. uh, especially if you aren't in one of those higher risk groups. But the reality of the situation is, is that anybody and everybody can get this and suffer severe consequences. And so, you know, even, even people who are younger and come down with a more severe case, if they if they're lucky enough to recover, we're still seeing cases of like lung functions having been severely depleted. And that's a pretty severe consequence of this illness. And it's something that doesn't get talked about a lot, but you know, it's, it's one of those things of like, okay, you could be young, you could be healthy. Um, so you may not think it's that big of a deal, but what if you came down with it and then your lungs just did not function the way that they used to for the rest of your life? Yeah. My lungs are already screwed because my dad smoked around me when I was a kid. <laughs> so I'm like, let's oh, no. not. Yeah. I mean, I, that's what I, I blame it on, but I'm like, my lung function is not quite to where it should be for somebody my age. I mean, it's not bad, but it's definitely not there. So I'm like, I don't need it depleted more. <laughs> it already is. Um, but I think a lot of, like you said, a lot of people aren't taking this seriously because that's why I wanted to ask you that because a lot of people are like, I'm young and healthy. I'll be fine. I'll bounce back. It's great. But I, my argument has been, say you do. Okay. Say, and I hope anybody listening to this, if you come down with it, you do bounce back. That's my hope is like, you don't have to end up in the hospital and you don't have to go through all that, or you don't have, you don't die. I'm hoping that, but how do you know during that period of time, several weeks, it can be that you're not showing symptoms that you don't pass it to somebody who could die. Like me personally, I don't want that blood on my hands. I want to think like, I want to do all the things I can do to prevent me getting infection, but also me infecting other people because then I can't, I, I, I won't feel guilty for giving it to somebody and then, you know, they pass away from it. But I feel like people who are just going around and just like not doing the things, partying on beaches, having barbecues with their neighbors, wine nights with their best friends, that they're not taking this seriously enough that it's not just the fact that they could die, but they could give it to somebody who could die. Yes. Yes. I mean, the, the reality of it is even the small movements in our lives we don't really think about and those small movements usually have a transaction of some sort of germs um and usually it's okay you know most of the time it's all right um but for the most part right now it's very much you know we are trying to keep away from each other in order to keep our germs to ourselves because you don't know. You could you could be incubating COVID nineteen. You could you could be infected and not know it. Uh, and right now, keeping your germs to yourself by staying away from everybody that you don't live with is sort of the most radical act of solidarity with human beings that you can possibly exercise. Um, it's not fun, but if you think about it on the larger scale. 
you know, you really can't guarantee that you haven't given it to somebody. Right. Um, and it's, it's hard to think about because again, the smallest movements can be, you know, all it takes really to transfer germs to somebody else, you know, hugs and high fives and can I use your sunscreen? Can I take a swig off your water bottle? You know, movements that we don't really think about all that much are really all it takes. And so, you know, nobody can really say for certain, like, well, I didn't pass it to anybody because you don't know. Can you, can you go through your schedule with a fine tooth comb and recite for me every single movement that you made in the last 24 hours? I can't. And I think about this stuff all the time. <laughs> um, and it's, <laughs> it's, it's one of those things that really people don't appreciate how, how simple, honestly, infectious agents really are designed in order to pass back and forth between us. But this is, this is one that I think will radically change the way that people think about our social interactions and um, not, not just in you know, kind of the germ theory way, but sort of the expressions of affection, uh, you know, the cultural practices that we have in business of even shaking hands, you know, things like that. I think you will see uh, quite, a, quite a change in mindset with a lot of this stuff because we just, people don't think about it and it takes it, it takes an agent like this basically to get people to kind of change their view on how they're interacting with the world and other people. Right. So I'm going to name off a few things that I'm like, I believe these are things that are going to help um, avoid us receiving and transmitting this disease. And okay. you can add, you can correct anything that I say if I say it wrong <laughs> or add things, um, uh, you know, once I'm done uh, that, you, that I maybe missed. So one right. thing, we do not want to be traveling domestically or internationally if we can possibly avoid it. Like it should be only necessary. Like we see doctors uh, from other states flying to New York City to help. That's different. That's a necessity, right? They have to fly. Our military members have to fly certain places because we still have to protect the United States while we're weakened from this virus, right? Those are people that have to be traveling. Um, but if we can avoid at all costs, we shouldn't be traveling domestically or internationally. You don't need to go. I saw this on my community forum. Woman, one woman was like, um, does that mean my friend won't be able to get into Connecticut? She's supposed to come visit me in a week your friend should not be coming to visit you in a week. She should not. Like, she does not need to come from Maine, get on a train, <laughs> come to Connecticut. Like, that just makes no sense. So that's one thing. We shouldn't be traveling. Um, try to stay local. Correct. And uh, two, go to the grocery store for the necessities once a week, once every other week. Some people have smaller families, can go like every other week. I have five people in my family. Um, so going every other week doesn't really work, especially when my kids eat through fresh fruits and veggies, like it's going out of style. Um, so I try to go once a week. Uh, when you are in the store, sanitize your car, <laughs> try to keep six feet from people, which is hard when you're going down the aisle. But if you see the aisle that's crowded, circle back later, like come back yes. to that aisle later. Don't, um, be in a crowded aisle. Like it, I personally, if, if, if it's possible, I'm trying to go during the week when it's not as busy because we yes. know the weekends are always busy. So, yes. um, 
limit your grocery shopping. Stay home if you are not an essential personal personnel. You don't need to get your prescription. You don't need to go grocery shopping um, or any of those things. Just stay home. And that doesn't mean, like we said, you can't go out and enjoy nature, um, but avoid crowded places. Um, when you are someplace, have that six feet. Um, but that doesn't mean you go out in your yard and sit with your best friend <laughs> and have wine. Um, uh, don't go places, other houses, um, if avoidable, that are not your own. Um, some people have to care for um, family members who um, maybe are older, or that's their job is to, you know, care for elderly people. That's different. I'm not talking about those people that that's essential for them to go do those things. It's like, don't go visit your mom because you don't need to. She doesn't live with you. Um, what else was one of the things that I was going to yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> so, so um, designating one person to go out for groceries and medications. Um, not everybody needs to go, only one person. Right. Uh, and like you said, once a week, once every couple of weeks. Um, and then as far as, you know, enjoying the wild places, enjoy the wild places if you live basically is as if they're your backyard. Um, yeah. And I don't mean backyard like they are for me here in Denver. That's not actually my backyard. My backyard is my backyard. <laughs> um, like stay as local as possible. Um, you know, that might mean staying in your county. For me, the way that I deal with it is I, if I, like I said, if I can't walk there in, you know, 10 minutes, I'm not going there. Um, I am not sitting in my car and going somewhere unless it is for groceries or a med or a prescription um, or medical care, basically. And I'm fortunate to be able to do that, but we need, because I'm not essential personnel and I can work from home. Mm -hmm. Um, but because we do have a lot of people that are essential personnel that have to be working, that have to be moving around in the world right now, but that means the rest of us that aren't need to stay put. And, um, it, I mean, flatly it sucks i mean nobody nobody likes this and i i don't recommend these things lightly either um but i think there is a little bit of everybody wants to be the exception uh mm -hmm. going on because nobody wants to be doing this i don't want to do this um you know i there is a lot of well but i'm only going to do this one thing um and the way that i like to liken it which this is my background showing but for every social interaction, think about it as though you are having sex with that person. You don't know <laughs> where they've been right before that, and they don't know where you've been. And so you are bringing your history of interactions in the last however many days, weeks with you every time you're interacting with somebody in close quarters. Um, and, you know, most people will at least understand that if you come, if you come at it with that kind of lens, then you start thinking about things differently. Um, and so it's one of those, like, just be very, very cautious and be very, um, you know, be very considerate about the things that you are doing. And do you actually need to be doing them? You know, I, in Colorado, we've had a lot of uh, people who are taking this as time to go play in the mountains. And um, this is not that time. This is not a vacation. This is everybody stay where you are <laughs> because everybody has the same uh, feelings about it right now, which is like, I don't like being, I don't 
like feeling as though I can't go somewhere. I don't like feeling cooped up. I don't like feeling uh, as though I ha- I'm limited and restricted in these ways. Um, and so everybody has the same reaction, which is, I'm going to go to the mountains. I'm going to go to spaces where there just aren't very many people. But everybody has that reaction, which means there are a lot of people <laughs> you know, at trailheads. There are a lot of people that are kind of invading these smaller communities that can't handle uh, any sort of influx of people who are bringing the virus with them. You really can't. They're already pressed for resources. And so at this point, it's one of those like, yeah, get outside, but stay very, very local. Stay in your neighborhood. Um, And that sucks, but like find new ways to adventure and get outside, you know, stay out in your front yard, you know, run around your front yard and you can take your dog for a walk. That's fine. But, you know, I've been avoiding, I live very close to to a park um, and I don't go to the park because there are a lot of people there. Um, and so if I do get out for a run, I make sure I stay in the neighborhood on sidewalks and I don't go to the park because there are so many people and everybody's just having that same reaction of, oh, I don't like feeling cooped up. I'm going to go out into these open spaces, right? Um, and these open spaces in theory would be fine, but everyone's having that same reaction. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and so it's difficult to actually be doing the thing that we're supposed to be doing, which is social distancing, when everybody's having the same reaction of, well, I'm just going to go to these open spaces, these open spaces with few people, because like the reality is they were open spaces when there were few people, but now that everybody wants to go to them, they are now big, spa- big crowded spaces with lots of, with mm-hmm. lots of people. <laughs> right. I know a lot of people that aren't taking this as seriously because maybe their area or their state wasn't hit as bad. Where I'm from, uh, for weeks, they didn't show, they didn't have a confirmed case. I mean, we all know it was Mm -hmm. up there at that point in time, but, um, or at least we that are intelligent human beings and understand, uh, knew that it was up there. Like it just hadn't been confirmed yet. And, um, it's a very small, very rural place. They, um, in the entire county, which takes up almost the entire uh, upper left-hand corner of New York State, it's huge county, but very rural. They do not have a lot of ICU beds, and um, yeah. right now they don't have anybody hospitalized. But they have thirty cases last I knew. So you know, for every person that had that. They've spread it to other people because nobody up there, well, I shouldn't say nobody, a lot of people up there weren't taking it seriously. They're like, we have no cases up here. Um, we're going to go party. I was seeing people partying, um, having barbecues, um, hanging out, like um, having friends over, not taking this seriously. And then all of a sudden uh, the first case pops up and they're like, oh, it's here. No, it's been there. It's been there for weeks. Yeah. And those people who whose area isn't hard hit yet or their state isn't hard hit yet, no state Uh, Right now, every state has cases, confirmed cases. So that means it's going to spread. And the more that people don't take it seriously, the more it's going to spread. I mean, where I'm from went from one case, not even a week ago, and now they have 30. And you know, it's just going to keep going like that and multiplying because those people before they showed symptoms, they were, they were associating with other people. So other people have it and they keep spreading it. And so I want people who are listening, who are in those not so hard hit areas or not so hard hit states to know that 
it's going to happen and it's going to spread. And the more that you don't practice social distancing and the more that you don't just stay at home when possible, the more it's going to spread. Because like you said, people don't show symptoms for, they can, you can, I think it's up to two weeks. You cannot show symptoms. And then some people are asymptomatic. So they'll never show symptoms and they're spreading it all over the place. Um, Connecticut, when my kids got out of school, which was like two and a half weeks ago, had 25 cases, right? As of yesterday, Connecticut, I want to say had 2,900 cases. That is in like two and a half weeks that happened. So two and a half weeks ago. And that's an undercount. No, it is an undercount because my doctor told me that if I come down with the symptoms, um, I'm supposed to call her office. And she said, as long as I'm not showing complications, she's going to recommend I stay home and I wouldn't even be tested because um, I don't meet the criteria. So it is severely undercounted. And the military right now has decided they're not going to release their numbers anymore. (laughs) So, and we live right near a military base. And as of like, when you could release numbers, there were no cases, but now we wouldn't know if there was cases or not because they're no longer releasing their numbers. Uh, I guess they are saying that it um, might put military members at risk. I don't know. Um, So there's a lot more out there than we know. Um, yeah, every day, there's a lot more out there than we know. Connecticut has been going up by like 400 plus cases every single day for the last week. Um, so it's scary. And somebody who's in an area or a state that's not as hard hit, it will happen and it will happen fast. And before you know it, you're going to be up in thousands of cases and not know what to do. I mean, yeah. right now they're talking about um, possibly having to use convention centers and maybe even the casinos as backup places if they get too overrun in the hospitals. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, so I think what we're actually talking about here, what's at the heart of the issue is testing. Um, and in the public health world, testing is everything. Um, I, I really can't stress that enough. It's, it is everything. It is how we identify cases. It's how we know where we're at as far as with the spread of something. Um, it's, it's how we also figure out when the containment measures that we're taking are starting to take effect. But one of the things that is really hard is, you know, places are seeing, places are seeing, um, rapid increases in uh, confirmed cases, but they would be seeing more if we had greater testing capabilities. Um, And so if you think that the numbers are going up rapidly now, they should be going up even faster. And so it's a bit of an artifact of, well, if you've only got 500 tests that you can dole out in a day, then, (laughs) you know, that's, that's the number that you've got. And so you know, you wouldn't be able to see more than a 500 case increase in any one day, even though you know that there are a lot more cases out there than that. And so it's, it's really, really difficult because now we have to get into the realm of sort of uh, prediction and also estimation um, of just how many cases do we actually have? It's, we don't know, but it's an awful lot more than what that confirmed case count stands at. And that confirmed case count is already pretty scary. You know, we're hundreds of thousands in, um, which means, you know, (laughs) it means that we've got millions of infections. That's what that means. Um, I, 
the testing thing is so important and we've fumbled it so badly. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is, it's honestly the reason why social distancing is really the only thing that we can do right now. Cause in theory, what you can do in an outbreak situation, um, epidemiologists will go and they'll do what's called contact tracing and contact tracing is when you've got an outbreak of a disease and you go and you find the people that, um, have tested positive and then you talk to them and you see, okay, these are all of the places that you were. These were all of the people that you interacted with and you try to isolate it as much as possible mm-hmm. in order to stop the spread. In order to do that, you need testing. Um, and we just, we didn't have enough testing and contact tracing very rapidly became uh, a moot point for us here. And so now it's just, not, now it's, you know, you can't get a test in a lot of places unless you go to the hospital because your symptoms are so severe. Um, and so there, we're going to miss a lot of cases. We will have to estimate how many we actually have. Um, we are already in the hundreds of thousands. That means that we're missing a lot. And so I can't tell you, you know, we, we're actually standing at 3.2 million cases. I don't know. But if you think about that R naught that I mentioned earlier, that uh, estimate of how many people one sick person infects, if you think of each confirmed case, um, and if you kind of take an R naught that's somewhere in the middle of the estimates right now, so say right around 2.3, 2.4-ish, uh, you know, we're looking at a conservative estimate of at least double the number of cases that we've confirmed cases that we have right now. And that is, that is a really conservative estimate. Um, that's not something that I would even hang my hat on because we know that it's more. Um, but that's just, you know, back of the napkin kind of math uh, for people that have been wondering, you know, why, why is this such a big deal? Um, and that's the reason because we are missing a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's really hard to understate. <laughs> uh, I guess, I guess, no, it's, it's hard to overstate just the importance of testing and being able to figure out where we stand as a country. Um, and right now we still don't have the capability of really doing that yet. Um, and so people needing to take these drastic measures of social distancing that nobody wants to do, um, but are incredibly necessary in order for us to come out the back end of this with as few deaths as possible. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I, I think people forget we're, we're not doing this because we're just trying to prevent ourselves from, um, getting it, but we're doing this to protect our vulnerable because that's a lot of people. A lot of people are vulnerable. Yes. We, we covered that earlier. We're trying to flatten the curve so that our medical personnel can keep up with this. Yes. It's horrifying to see the pictures coming out of New York City where they're loading bodies into refrigerated trucks because they just don't have the room in the morgues anymore. That's a lot yes. of freaking bodies. <laughs> like, yeah. uh, you know, think about it. New York City is a huge place like huge, they have huge hospitals and this is what it's coming to. Um, yes. You know, uh, we're, we are, that, that's what we really got to think about. And like you said earlier, our essential personnel, they have to go to work. Our medical personnel, they have to go to work. I know somebody who is an ER nurse and when they showed their first case, 
they were just like, I'm going to lock myself in one room in my house that has a bathroom and I'm not coming out because I'm going to try not to infect my, my spouse and my children Yes, because um, they yes. have young children. Um, we got to protect these people by staying home and practicing the things. So is there anything, Katie, that I missed or that you would like to add to the, the podcast episode before we wrap it up? I think we covered most of the basics. Um, I think right now, uh, and this is sort of a pet project for me, but um, one of the things that I've always been very passionate about because of my line of work is um, vaccinations. And if the way that I like to think about social distancing now is vaccines are very much an act of social solidarity. They're about protecting the herd. They're about protecting the the people amongst us that can't get vaccinated for any number of reasons. They're about protecting the people that are immunocompromised. Um, and so when you get vaccinated for something, it isn't just to protect yourself, it is to protect the whole herd. So it really is an act of social solidarity. Um, social distancing right now is the exact same thing. You are protecting yourself and you are protecting the herd. You are helping to protect the more vulnerable amongst us you are doing your part in order to help us slow the spread of this so that it does not uh, get worse because it's gonna get worse, but <laughs> at this point, we need to try to mitigate that as much as possible. Um, and we've sort of started down this path that is irreversible, but for every person that we can get on board with social distancing and staying home, that is, there's a tangible ROI in that, in that that means lives saved. Um, and that is the reality of the situation. And I think that that's something that a lot of people forget or don't see in that way. Um, but social distancing is a, is a radical act of social solidarity. Um, if you love the people in your life that you don't live with, if you love your friends, your family, you know, people across the country, um, I even liken it to, you know, it's the most patriotic thing that you can do right now. If uh, you want to frame it in that way, that's fine too. You know, <laughs> however you want to frame this, you know, it's, it is really about the good of everybody in this. And so it isn't, it's much bigger than you feeling cooped up, which we all do right now, but it is much bigger than that. And so if I were to ask people to remember one thing, it is if you are fortunate enough to be able to stay home, um, then do so. Even if you're going a little bit stir crazy because you got cabin fever, I mean, it is for the betterment of <laughs> where we stand right now as a country, as a society, and as, and as a species, honestly. Everybody needs to do their part and everybody feels the same way, but if we can all sort of wrap ourselves up in this idea of solidarity and uh, doing things for the betterment of everybody else, then it, you know, basically the better off we will be and the more lives will be saved. And the, the more we do it, the sooner it'll be over with and we can go back to our lives. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, we need to get through this initial wave, which, um, at this point, I, who even knows when that will be, uh, because there have been so many different responses to this. Um, and, the reality is until we get a vaccine and or an effective treatment that's, you know, readily available and easily obtainable and effective, um, this might, we might go in ebbs and flows of this for a while because again, it's that gas versus brake 
sort of analogy that I referenced earlier. Um, but like we need to get through this initial wave. And I think this initial wave is really the starting point for people right now of trying to teach everybody how the world can look in this case. And um, this isn't the only time that this is going to happen. This will happen again. And it, and it's not even just with this pathogen, but like we are talking about this happening with a different pathogen. You know, this will happen again with a different virus, with a different bacteria. This will happen again. Spillover happens. Um, and so it's something that everybody needs to learn a lot from as far as how society needs to function um, until we can get an effective vaccine out and, and or an effective treatment out um, and easily obtained by everybody across the world. Um, so yeah, let's like get ourselves through this initial wave um, and hopefully everybody takes away from this that like, it's good sometimes to stay away from your friends. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, don't forget to wash your hands. Don't forget to wash your hands. <laughs> and, wash your hands like it's going out of style. And if your hands are not clean, don't touch your face. I know it's hard. <laughs> In the grocery store, I'm constantly doing, people can't see me, but I'm constantly like rubbing my nose on the, my <laughs> shoulder because I don't yes. want to touch my face, but my face it just because when you can't touch your face, your face is yep. like, but touch me, touch me. But we yep. need to avoid that. And uh, let's remember if you are wearing gloves, um, you are doing it to stop contaminants. Please don't wear your gloves, touch your grocery cart, and then touch your cell phone, which is not <laughs> disinfected. Or I saw a picture on Facebook where this guy who has gloves on, but he's eating Cheetos out of a bag while he's waiting in line. Like, come on, man, what is the point of you wearing those gloves if you're going to do that? Um, so just remember, if you're one of those people wearing gloves, you're doing it to stop the contaminants from getting in your hands, you need to take those gloves off before you touch other things. Like, let's, let's be real here. Um, so wash your hands. Don't touch your face. Uh, wash your cell phones. Your cell phones your are cell so phones. gross. Oh, I, I, my cell phone was probably a germ infested place until this <laughs> like hit. And I was like, let me take this sanitizer wipe and wipe the whole thing off. Um, but yes, Katie, I cannot express how thankful I am that you came on you broke all these things down for us. You're very candid and, and very realistic. And I really, really appreciate you coming on. Thanks so much for having me. This is great. Um, I really appreciate what you're doing. So thanks for letting me be a part of it. Hey, everyone. We forgot to mention in this episode that Katie actually has a COVID-19 Facebook group. That will be linked up in the show notes. You can find the show notes uh, by either swiping up I want to say swiping up on your podcast app or by visiting the website inspiredwomenpodcast.com. Thank you for listening. I hope you got lots and lots of wonderful information. And please, 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 please share this out with your friends and family members because we all need to hear this information. Bye. Thank you for being a part of the Inspired Women audience. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating review. And don't forget to share this out with somebody who could use some inspiration today. Tag us at Inspired Women Podcast, both on Facebook and Instagram. Have a great day.